Hello and welcome to another edition of the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, the Syracuse Football Beat Writer. Joining me twice a week every week is Julian Wiggum, the former Syracuse cornerback. Well, Syracuse is coming off a 63-20 loss at Maryland, and they get to face the best team in the country this weekend, Clemson. The Orange hosting the top-ranked Tigers on Saturday at 7.30 in the Dome, potentially a sellout, and we're here to break it down. We're going to go through our three keys each to giving Syracuse a chance at pulling off the upset, which they did two years ago and came a play away from doing again in Death Valley last year on either side of the ball. We're going to talk to good friend David Hale of ESPN.com a little later in the show, give our predictions, take some fan questions. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes, give us five stars, And if you'd like to purchase advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. Okay, Julian, let's jump into it. What's your first key for Syracuse in trying to pull off the upset? So I'm going to be very disappointing. And for all of those listening, I'm going to say, dang, Julian, we don't have that right now. But I'm going to first ask for time of possession and maintaining the clock and finding a way to keep that Clemson offense off the field. And to do that, you have to be able to run the football. The problem is Syracuse hasn't done that very well up to this point. But my reserve and my hope is because of the tape that they've put out there that isn't very good rushing the football, I'm hoping Coach Babers and his staff is a little bit innovative in the run game this week and finds a way to be productive up front. If they can do that, control the clock, the way that this offense is set up with the short passing game as well, the way that they stay in bounds and receivers catch the football three and four yards away from the line of scrimmage, and I think that if they find a way to have that short yardage, quick-hitting game passing the football, and also find a way to get some push up front and hold onto the ball, I think it gives them a better shot going into this football game to get rid of that Clemson offense and not allow them very many opportunities throughout the football game. Yeah, totally agree with you there, and I'm, I'm kind of going to build off that for, for my first first pick here. That's tempo, and I was talking with Sean Riley yesterday, and he said you know, he knows it doesn't look like they're going fast to start the year, and I think there are a lot of things that have factored into that, you know, turnovers and inability to run the ball, especially in in running downs, you know, first and ten, you know, second second and, and seven or eight. You know, they're not putting themselves in positions where um you know they can be deceptive, where where you you're second and four, you could call anything, you know, or you're third and short, you, you kinda have the opportunity to, to use play action. Um, so, so Sean was really pushing, you know, we need to establish tempo. Uh, I think they had some success with that when they went empty against Maryland, you get man coverage across the board and, you know, Tommy DeVito is a little bit more vulnerable, but it, it does open things up. Like you said, in the short passing game. So, you know, t- to me, tiring out Clemson early is important. You know, we're going to talk to David Hale of ESPN.com a little bit later in the show. And, and as he, he'll kind of discuss, you know, Clemson's depth on defense isn't outstanding, uh, especially in the secondary. Um, so if you can wear those guys out and, and get Tristan Jackson and Taj Harris some favorable matchups, you know, I think that would go a long way. What do you, what do you got next for us, Julian? My second, my second thought here for Syracuse finding a way to win this football game is turnovers and finding a way to take the football away, using their secondary and finding a way to get that defensive line going again. If they can create pressure on the quarterback, make him make some early throws that he doesn't want to, maybe even bait them into some shots 
uh, downfield, thinking there's something there, and then using uh, Cisco over the middle of the field and finding a way to create turnovers. I think if they can get to that plus one, plus two territory and find a way to protect the football on the other side of the ball, don't fumble, no interceptions, just staying consistent with the football, I think that gives them an even better chance of winning this game, giving themselves extra opportunities. If you can create a, a, a situation where you take the ball away at the on their 40-yard line and have a short field, give yourself a chance to get a quick score, it starts to build that momentum and give them some opportunities throughout this football game. I, I'm really worried about this team in general. I, I think Clemson has a, a very talented football team, top to bottom. I think it's one of the most talented teams in college football history. And, and my considerations for this game, I'm thinking the biggest key for them is finding a way to take that football away and get that offense off the field. They can get to plus one. I think it increases your chances of winning by 33%. Plus two, I think it's close to 65%. You get these turnovers and find a way to get that football away from Trevor Lawrence, take the ball out of ETN's hands. I think it gives you a great shot at winning this game, and I think turnovers are going to be a key factor for Syracuse this weekend. Spoken like a true former Schaefer player. I feel like I heard him say that before every – Every tough defensive battle against a good team, and and you know my my second point builds on yours. You mentioned it, pressuring the quarterback. Obviously, the last two years that's been a huge part of what's allowed Syracuse to stay close, and, and obviously to win two years ago. Chris Slayton slamming down Kelly Bryant, uh, Evan Foster getting Trevor Lawrence on the sideline last year. That, yep. It's got to be there. Absolutely got to be there. It starts with Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson. You know these are two guys who are they they want to be among the best pass rushers in the country, well, well, this is the biggest stage. You know, if you want to be able to say you're, you deserve to be in those conversations, you need to, you need to be in the backfield Saturday night. Um, I, I think Alton especially didn't play that, that well against Maryland. Um, and, and I think those guys have a little bit of something to prove along with the interior guys. You know, it's, it takes all four of them, you know, whoever's getting the, the better matchup up there. We saw Josh Black be really effective in week one. I will say I, I don't think they're going to have McKinley Williams this weekend. We saw him walk through interviews last night. Uh, Syracuse's senior defensive tackle with his foot still in a cast and on crutches. Seems unlikely he's going to be out there. So, you know, th- those guys need to get Trevor Lawrence out of the pocket. They need to hit him. They need to make him think because, let's be honest, Clemson's running game is one of the best in the country. Travis Etienne almost demands an eight-man box. So you can't you – can't, they're going to have to try and stop the run, and that means leaving Chris Frederick and Afatu Malafanu in a lot of man coverage against T. Higgins and Justin Ross. You can't let Trevor Lawrence sit back and just throw it. You need to make him think. You need to make him wonder if pressure's coming because, you know, while Syracuse's corners are good, that game of pitch and catch, you, can, you cannot live with that throughout the whole game. Yeah, and this is not a team that you can sit up and, and load a box and then play man coverage on the outside. I mean, there's there's been games in, in our past, uh, I can think uh, it was the LSU, where we would line the box up and then just play man on the outside. Uh, we played uh, teams that typically rush the football out of those pro-style offenses, and they don't necessarily have the capabilities at quarterback or we feel like we can match up with them at receiver. Those are the games that you typically man up the corners and just hope you load the box up and get stopped to run. Against a team like Clemson where they can really do it all, they can spread you out and then rush the football, I think this game's going to really come down to finding a way to mix up those coverages behind an eight-man box. You're going to have to load up the box to keep ETN going off on because if they start rushing the football, it's over. The passing game opens up, play action is there. It's going to look a lot like Maryland, if not worse. So key is finding a way to mix up those coverages behind an eight-man box. And how do you do that? 
rotations. You're going to have to communicate, which, again, scares me because they weren't doing that last week. They weren't communicating. You could see guys with their hands up looking back at the safeties or corners looking at linebackers. Linebackers looking at safeties like, where were you? What was going on? And there's always pre-snap communication. Guys are always saying something, whether it's uh, whatever the coverage could be or where a man is. You're trying to you're making sure that guys are all on the same page so that you guys have your rotations down. And that's what makes zone coverages work, being able to rotate, show the quarterback one thing, and then give him another. Trevor Lawrence is smart. He ain't that smart. He hasn't been playing college football but for a year. So you guys show him something he hasn't seen yet. And, again, I'm going to put that on the coaches to give him a good game plan. You give him something he hasn't seen yet, I think there's some opportunities there. And the reason I put on the coaching staff as well, they've done things that has confused Clemson before. I always go back to when they won in 2016. We knew Clemson was going to try to play we're better than you defense. And we're better than you defense is basically just playing straight up man coverage with a four-man rush. It's the most disrespectful defense in college football with a high safety because it says we have corners that are better than you. Our defensive line is better than you. Our linebackers are much better than you. And our safety is good enough to just sit back there and take a ball if you try to go deep. It's, it's As an offensive coordinator, you should be pissed if you see it. But we knew Clemson was going to come out and play that. Or they knew. I wasn't there. But they knew they were going to play that. Sure enough, Coach Babers motions these guys around. They're showing them bunch formations to, to make it difficult to play man. They're uh, moving guys out of the backfield, making Clemson think, messing up coverages, and all of a sudden you got Irv Phillips running down the middle of the field for a 67-yard touchdown. Like Those are the kind of coaching influences I'm hoping to see from Syracuse this week, except this time I need to see it on the defensive side of the ball. It's got to come from, the, from those guys this time because the offense, they'll do their thing, but the defense is going to win this football game, I think, for Syracuse. If they can find a way to game plan this game correctly, finding a way to mix up coverages and create some opportunities for themselves and be aggressive, I think that's going to be a major key for this Syracuse team this year. I agree with you. And my last point of the three here ties into that. It's the crowd. I mean, you know, I know it sounds kind of stereotypical. And and honestly, for a while, I didn't really buy like the notion that, oh, the 12th man, oh, it's loud. It changes things. Ever since the NC State game last year, like I saw it. I think back to Ryan Finley's interception at the end of the game, Andrew Armstrong, they were on a silent count. Allen Robinson jumped it. He saw the guard slap the center's butt. He jumped it. He was in Finley's face. He had to throw early. Interception. Literally, they're not in a silent count if it's not that loud in there. And I know it's supposed to be pushing a sellout. Um, Could be one of the the highest attended games in Dome history. So, you know, to me, when when that Clemson offense is on the field, making it as loud as possible for Lawrence – you know, it just can't hurt. And, and all of these things tie in together, right? Stopping the run, mixing up coverages behind a heavy box, you know, ha- having noise to make it difficult on Clemson. You you want to create an atmosphere that is uncomfortable for them, where they're thinking, they're not reacting. You know, they're they're not maybe not on the same page. Maybe you all you need is what? One receiver running the wrong route? Interception, going the other way, you know? So it's I, I think the crowd is is much more important than maybe the casual observer realizes and, and hears someone say that and they're like, oh, I roll. You know, it's real. I, I was just about to make that point as well. Uh, I think of two instances. Uh, the first one was at Florida State in 2013. Mind you, I played like 13 snaps before they knocked me out of the game. 
but I can remember vividly. I can every single time I think of it, I can put myself in the position. I remember looking at the offensive line. I'm out there standing. The defense. It was like a dead ball. I don't know if it was a timeout, a TV timeout, what. But I'm looking at the offensive line and how much bigger they were, right, than us. I look at Winston, who was like six five and huge. Look at the receiver across from me is Kelvin Benjamin. He's six six, two twenty five, two thirty five, whatever he is. Then all of a sudden, they start hitting this no chant that I think is the worst sounding chant in the world, most annoying thing ever, right? And the crowd just galvanized the stadium with no. And I had never been in a situation. It was my sophomore year. I had never been in a moment like that. And as soon as we got ready to play, I come back and got, it was, mind you, it's out of a timeout. We already knew what the coverage, I'm, I'm sure it was like a cover four, a cover three, whatever. We already knew what the coverage was. And as sure as, as soon as they start to motion and the crowd is going and making all this noise and we can't hear anything. And of course, built in, you have like hand signals and whatnot to actually to help you in the case that you don't, you can't hear anything. We're looking back and as soon as you start to think, the crowd noise can get to you and you may make the mental mistake. Mind you, it's college kids. These guys have a test on, on Tuesday or something. Like their minds are everywhere. As soon as you go back, it, it can fluster you to even mess up a hand call. And that happened throughout our defense at times. And it was just off of the crowd noise and how uh, its impact on what we were trying to do as a defense. It, 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 I'd never experienced anything like that before until I got to Clemson the next season, which, again, another incredible atmosphere. I think it's one of the best in college football. I remember there was a play. Uh, we had a cornerback blitz built into a, uh, a based on what the offense was giving us. If I it, and it was my it was my play, which makes it even it pisses me off to this day. Mm-hmm. It's my play, and we have we get the formation. I'm looking at it. I'm like, all right, got it. I know what it is. As soon as they motion back out of it, I knew okay, you got to go back to three. But then I'm looking back at my safety, who's giving me the hand motion. I can't hear what he, and of course it was Rel, and you can't understand Rel, whatever, he, he's always doing something different. I'm looking at Rel, and he's giving me a hand sign like, is, is, that, is that the blitz? Is that the go? Wait, no, it's not. I'm, and then again, crowd noise, can't hear anything. I'm on my own sideline. Coach Schaefer's over there. Go, go, go. I'm thinking he's saying stack because he's showing me hand signs, like pushing as if to go. I'm like, I don't know what to do right now and i'm just again sitting here in this packed stadium guys are yelling it was it was the atmosphere itself was incredible but we, but we ended up blo- I, well it was me i ended up blowing that call and i just stayed in coverage it was a blitz i think it ended up being a two-yard gain on there i don't think it actually went for anything but the point being we could have gotten a cornerback a, a, a stop a tackle for a loss on that play and it's instances like that where a crowd can play such a factor in what you're trying to do and, and communicate with people that it can actually affect the defense or affect an offense. And as soon as guys start to think and start looking around, trying to figure out what to do and who to look to to actually communicate with and the crowds there, as soon as you're thinking and that noise starts hitting you, it can be in a, a very effective in destabilizing what you're actually trying to do and it hurts your process. So I, I think your point's spot on there with the crowd noise because if you've got 55,000, whatever the capacity is at, at the Dome, 
if, if you've got that many people in there with nowhere for that sound to go, but back to the field, I mean, I, I think that atmosphere itself could very, it could definitely benefit Syracuse. Great story. That's uh, that's Darrell Eskridge for for anyone wondering who who Rell is, the former Syracuse safety. All right, Julian, we got we're down to our last last fast of the game that can keep Syracuse in it. What you got? Last, I'm gonna go for this offensive line and the running backs. I need them to have a game, and that's it ties into that time possession, the first point. But they've got to find a way to get a push this week. They have to, because I don't think that Tommy DeVito is going to be able to sit there and just beat up on this defense by himself. He needs help. I think that this offense is at its best when there's a rushing attack, when uh, guys are getting finding four- and five-yard gains, making it easier for themselves, like you said, on first and second down. I think it's critical when you have the, the ability to go with a dive, a sweep, uh, a QB read, and all, it opens up your offense because then, just like Maryland, if you got the ability to go with the QB option, which I know we haven't seen it much from DeVito, trust me, they're capable of running those kinds of plays with him. He has mobility to him. If they have a QB read, all of a sudden, you please believe there is a slot receiver that could slide right behind that linebacker who would step up in that gap to stop the rushing tank where DeVito could fit it right in behind him. It's a play that Maryland was hitting off Syracuse all the time, but Syracuse's offense is built the same way. There's a plenty of opportunities, but if you have to have a rushing attack first, and I think the biggest key for Syracuse, and when their offense is at its best, everything is hitting. Last season, they were able to get away with Eric Dungy being able to just rush the football and get them out of bad plays, or he was able to do something with his feet and make a guy miss or run somebody over, kick someone in their chest. All of these fantastic Dungy plays. Well, now it has to go back to actual football in making some of these schemes work. I think it's going to be very uh, important for Syracuse finding where to rush the football, being able to rely on the run game and not go to the short passing game in every instance. Because eventually, uh, Clemson's going to tackle that down. It's not going to go anywhere. We've seen what happened. Even against uh, in the first game, we were seeing that they, they were struggling in that short passing game. So finding a way to rush the football being able to open up their offense, I think that opens some things up for them downfield. I think it gives DeVito some more time. I think that offensive line, if they can get a push in the rushing game, it gives them more confidence in the pass game, being able to just step back because supposedly it's easier when you can say That's what I hear. I don't know <laughs> for certain. But I, it, supposedly it's easier when you're just sitting back and pass. So if they can get some push in the run game, get confidence, all of a sudden be able to sit back in the passing game. I think that helps Syracuse in just finding a way to open up that offense to its full capabilities. Because otherwise, if you're one-dimensional and they know you're just going to throw the football, that's when teams just sit back and tee off on you. And I don't think Syracuse's offensive line is ready for that right now. No, they, they sure aren't, and we saw some of that last week. I'll add this. you know, It's easy to forget how good Dante Strickland was two years ago. Behind that offensive line, I mean, that was one of the big reasons why it was a game at the end. Um, I talked with Evan Adams, fifth-year uh, guard, last night, and you know he basically said every game is different. I kind of asked him, you know, how do you get the running game going? And he was a little bit hesitant to talk about it. He didn't love the line of questioning, and you know, he, he's, he, I was like, come on, man, it's a reasonable question, you know. And and he, right. you know, he basically said every game is different. You know, every play is different. They got two. He didn't say this, but they got two first-year starters in the line: Carlos Vettorella, tackle; Dakota Davis at guard. 
And yep. finding consistency with those guys is the hardest part. You know, if you might have four guys doing doing the right thing on one play, another four the next. The, maybe the back takes a wrong step. You know, Mo Neal said that, you know, he's looked at the film from the Maryland game, and, and, and look, there's things he didn't do right. He wishes he had waited, you know, a half a second longer on a play or, or had cut back on a certain, you know, a certain play. So there's a lot of facets that go into it. Um, I guess Evan's note of optimism was that Carlos and Dakota are asking a lot of questions. You know, they're they're comfortable in the room and, and they're trying to get better. <laughs> I know that that should be obvious, but, you know, they, they really are. And, and I agree with you. It's it's going to be huge this weekend. All right, let's uh, go now to the phone lines. We've got David Hale of ESPN.com. We're here on the Syracuse Football Podcast, now joined by David Hale, an ACC reporter for ESPN.com and good friend. David, let's just jump right into this thing. I really enjoyed your story on Travis Etienne last week. I I suspect he's going to be a problem for Syracuse, especially with the linebacker concerns um, that are going on here. So I guess tell me a little bit about what you learned about Travis and and what, now that you've seen him up close, what makes him so special? Well, look, I'm not an expert in the X's and O's of, of football. I am not an expert at scouting guys. I don't necessarily think I'm the guy to, to do like draft analysis or anything like that. But uh, one thing that I have learned over the years is that if someone as stupid about football as me can see something so blatantly obvious, then it's probably a, a really, really true thing. So... Uh, I remember the first time I watched Travis play thinking that first step he has when he gets the ball in his hands is as quick as anybody I think I've ever seen. And so, again, you know, I, I don't know. You could probably bring in some guy who uh, goes over tape every game and, and he really breaks down Travis Etienne. I can tell you that I've seen a lot of running backs and I've never seen anybody with a first step quite like him he just has this way of sort of freezing a defense and then exploding from there and uh it's just it happens so fast and Dabo Sweeney compared him to CJ Spiller I got to see a little of CJ I think Travis is is in a different league compared to that I think he's got more strength he can be more physical but but I see where the comparison comes from because uh just that explosiveness from, from the line of scrimmage is is really something rare and unique that you just don't see a whole heck of a lot. Sure, I think Syracuse fans saw that last year in Death Valley, that 90-something yard touchdown drive to, to ice the game. Uh, I think if, if you're a defense going up against a lot of backs, you can try and stack the box. Might not be the best idea against Clemson. Um, what you know, You've seen a lot of good offenses, I'm sure, is this the one of the most balanced ones you've seen? Dino Babers called it one of the best of an era, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Um, what's it like to to have seen that up close so far? Yeah, I mean, look, the thing I always say about a, a, a offense that really is special is the one that you can take away the thing that they want to do and they really don't miss a beat. There's not a lot of teams that can do that. I mean, even... Alabama, I think, to some extent, if you watch the national championship game last year, Clemson took away what their plan A was, and they just were not great at a plan B. Clemson has a tremendous plan B. Whatever whatever you think plan A is, whether it's ETN, whether it's Lawrence, whether it's you know the, the deep ball, whether it's the short passes, whether it's the running game, they've got 
a really good plan B, a really good plan C. They're just so good down the down the line. So uh, there's just not a lot of offenses that are built that way. And like I said, I think Travis Etienne is a a unique talent. Travis, uh, Trevor Lawrence might be uh, the most unique talent at quarterback we've seen in, in quite a while. And he's not off to a great start this year, which I would suggest is probably not good news for Syracuse. I don't think you want Trevor Lawrence coming to your house and saying, hey, you know what, everybody's criticizing me that I haven't gotten off to a good start. Let me even out those numbers a little bit. Well, well, by that logic, Syracuse will come out and play a great game after losing by 43 to Maryland, right? <laughs> right, of course, that's because that's how it works. <laughs> uh, let's flip to the defense quickly. Uh, we know they're replacing a lot of starters, the entire defensive line. What, how have you seen that group mesh, and is there an opportunity for, for Syracuse to try and exploit maybe a particular player or, or a particular area on the field? Yeah, look, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down situation. Now, the defense played great against Texas A&M, which uh, is, I think, a much different beast than, than what Syracuse is. And I think you could probably and, and rightly make the argument that there's more talent on A&M's offense. Uh, but the way Jimbo Fisher goes about coaching a, a offense is a good bit different than how Dino Babers does it. So um, the, what I always come back to is, is the last couple of years – it's been plainly obvious that that tempo that Syracuse wants to run has given Brent Venables and, Syri- and Clemson some legitimate problems. And that was when you had Christian Wilkins and Cleland Farrell and Dexter Lawrence and those guys up front. That was when you had a veteran linebacking core, and they struggled with that. So now you, you take that away and you say, well, what are we de- dealing with now? I, I think they're in a lot of ways just as talented as they were last year, but they're far less experienced. And and the other thing that I think really stands out and can really be um, utilized if you're Syracuse is that there's just not the depth there that there was. So certainly I think everybody remembers the Syracuse game against Clemson last year when uh, Xavier Thomas comes out and utterly destroys Eric Dungey at the end of that game. That was Xavier Thomas, like five-star guy with a huge – future as a backup of a defensive lineman there's just not those guys that are ready to make an impact like that after that first that first tier that first line defense for for clemson this year so that's where i think that just the tempo in general can be a thing that's a real asset for syracuse so through the first two games for syracuse liberty and maryland have seemingly dared the orange to run the ball two high safeties light box and and the orange hasn't really taken advantage the, the only facet of the offense that that i thought looked really good against maryland is, is tristan jackson and i think we're all kind of waiting to see that from him he, he won a lot of uh a lot of balls in man coverage i know clemson likes to do that you know what can you tell me kind of about their cornerbacks and um do you do you see that potentially as an area that could be exploited yeah look a little bit of it is that um, you know, with Eric Dungy, you always had the threat of the mobile QB, and I think you see a little less of that with with Devito, and so that has probably allowed defenses to maybe um, kind of cheat a little bit against the pass and prevent that sort of let's beat them over the top type of thing. And, and I think that, uh, or I wouldn't be surprised if that's sort of the way that Clemson wants to play this too. I mean, 
quite frankly, it's worked pretty well for, for the previous two teams that have gone up against Syracuse. So mm-hmm. I, I would be surprised. They are a little bit green uh, in the back end, too. I mean, the, there was just a ton of turnover on defense for Clemson overall. But Dabo has really praised the, the, the secondary as a group. And, and, you know, the other thing is, too, I looked at that secondary last year against Syracuse was not great. Uh, but I thought in a lot of ways that was a turning point game for those guys who had just gotten beaten up pretty good by Kellen Mond and, and Texas A&M the week before that last year. And I think kind of learned a few lessons against Syracuse in that game last year. So I, I don't know that it's exact. I mean, it's not an apples to apples thing, but you've got a lot of um, it's going to be the same scheme, I think. And you've got a lot of guys who are probably kind of coming off of a game where you can say, hey, look, we played really, really well against Kellen Mond this time. So I think there's a little more confidence going to that game too. I, I, none of that adds up to what I would say is a great situation if you're Tommy DeVito, who is really trying to get some consistency. I, I would be a little nervous about that matchup, and I think if Syracuse can't prove that they can run the ball effectively, uh, they're going to really, really struggle to move the ball at all. And I mean, you, you think back to two years ago when they played at the Dome and won. That was. Uh, you know, Strickland had a huge game for them, and that was probably one of the best games that the Syracuse offensive line has had under Dino Babers. And um, I, I just think you have to start there. You have to start up front with the sort of physical side and hope that opens up some of the downfield stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. Easy to forget about that two years ago, but that was really, really impressive from, from that front five. So we've been here before. <laughs> I feel like I'm used to covering Syracuse being a three-touchdown underdog to Clemson. The last two years, it's obviously been really close. Um, you know, We know Syracuse has knocked out quarterbacks the last two years. Obviously, uh, Kelly Bryant left the team that week, and that probably was a factor. Do you think that you know, when you look back to those those two games, it was all of those kind of mitigating factors, or is there something here with Syracuse's scheme and Syracuse's coaching staff that makes you believe that even without Eric Dungy, maybe even if you don't knock out Trevor Lawrence, this could be a game on Saturday? Well, like I said, I think the offensive scheme has been a neutralizer, and there's not many coaches around the country who have given Brent Venable's many sleepless nights, but I think Dino Babers does. So that's one thing. But certainly the, the, the pure issue there is just execution. I mean, and that's – I don't think that Dino Babers' offense is, is going to struggle for long, but the execution has to be dramatically better. And then, look, defensively, you saw a very uneven performance against – I mean, uneven is probably an understatement. It was a pretty yeah. bad performance <laughs> against Maryland. Um, so, look, the secondary is going to have to play a lot, lot better. I think you're going to need to see particularly sort of up the middle. You need to have some better performances, more physical performances to keep Travis Etienne uh, corralled. The idea, I think, if you're Syracuse, needs to be you need to hit Travis – you need to hit Trevor Lawrence a few times. You need to get him uncomfortable. Um, I don't know that uh, – you know, I certainly am not going to preach the gospel of trying to knock out their quarterback. That's frowned upon. But uh, that has been the, uh, the the plan for for Syracuse that has worked out the last couple of years. But even that, I don't necessarily think – you know, you don't need to, to, to injure somebody, but you do need to get into his face and make – Trevor Lawrence a little bit uncomfortable because I think that's where sort of the the situation has to start. You need to get him uncomfortable. You need to have him make a few throws that 
uh, he wishes he had back. And he's done a little bit of that so far this season. So there's an opportunity there for what I still think is a tremendously good secondary, despite what we saw against Maryland. Um, but look, I mean, the bottom line is, as we've seen the last couple of years, it has to sort of be a situation where everything goes right for Syracuse and a lot of things go wrong for Clemson. And then on top of that, Syracuse has to play one of its best games. So I don't know. Is that possible? Certainly. I think it's possible that the task might be in some ways easier this year against this defense than it was the past couple of years. But uh, that's still a really, really good, really talented Clemson team. So it is not going to be an easy one. I agree with you. Thanks so much for coming on, David. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Thanks again to David for coming on. We're going to jump into a couple fan questions. This one is for Julian uh, from Kyle Fussner, my roommate. Shout out, Kyle. See you at home tonight. This has to be the most hyped-up game in in Cuse's recent memory. Does Julian have a game that sticks out the most to him as far as hype and excitement goes? Oh, man. Um, I think the biggest game as far as Syracuse football that I was a part of, uh, probably, you know what? I think Notre Dame, uh, I think that was my junior year. So 2014, um, I remember that being like a, like I remember actual administrative people getting excited about it, even though we had just dropped that game to Maryland. Um, I think that was, we were coming off of a scene, I think what, six and six, something like that, seven and, uh, seven and five the year before, um, and we had a good football team, so people were still expecting us to come back and, and actually show something, and Notre Dame, I think that was in MetLife, uh, the crowd, it, it, the biggest difference, I think, as far as a big game and what separates that from your regular uh, mode of operation and what you usually do is you can sense from coaches you can sense from student, regular students that you don't always talk to. They'll see you in your gear and they'll ask you about the game. And it's like, well, why do you care this week? You know, um, or uh, just noticing like when you're in the, the academic buildings for, for whatever sport, uh, you notice the administrative people there that seem to be a little more uppity about the game. And I think that those little things contribute to the overall game itself, like you try, they always say like little cliches, like tune out the noise and focus on what you're doing. We're day to day, uh, play by play, yada, yada. That becomes a, a real thing. And you can actually feel some of the, that noise and that outside talk when it becomes a bigger game. I remember that for Notre Dame, just because I guess it was Notre Dame and it was that name. Uh, so there was so many people just kind of getting antsy and you know, wondering what's going to happen and what it could do for the program and all of that. Um, even uh, my freshman year against USC, again, just the chirping around the building in the administrative office, you could the media people down the hall, uh, you knew that there was some bigger thing happening here where people uh, in the higher-ups, they seem to care a little more about this game and it kind of trickled down to you a little bit and you would hear some of the rumblings. Uh, I don't think a lot of guys are on Twitter like that. Uh, They don't really read the newspaper clippings. um, All that much. They may not pay attention to the media itself, but inside of the building, that's where you really feel it. And you can, you certainly feel it when you've got a bunch of people and people are putting together a lot of familiar videos and, uh, there's been talks of game day coming to school. So I'm sure the students and the administrative faculty and everything inside of the building has definitely made them feel 
that big game atmosphere and what it means to the university. Yeah, I agree with you there. Maryland game might have taken some life out of that balloon, but you're you're spot on. Uh, one more question from Matty Russo. Why can't we get any running game going with these good RBs? I understand the offensive line problems, but we couldn't even run versus Liberty. Yeah, I mean, if you understand the offensive line problems, I, I think you understand <laughs> why they can't run the ball. It's you know, it's Mo and Abdul aren't, aren't perfect, right? I mean, I'm not saying they're they're it, but they're they're not the issue. You know, uh, the biggest thing that I noticed rewatching the game and, and what Maryland did well, man, they got so many second level blocks. You would see two of the interior linemen hit a double team, and then one would get to a linebacker every time. You know, Andrew Armstrong probably got eaten up by that a dozen times over the course of the game. They got Lakeem sometimes when Michael Jones was in the box. You know, they really did a nice job of not only opening a hole, but then giving a second window for the back to run through. And that's why you saw Syracuse's safeties having to come downhill. It is not easy to tackle a guy in that situation so if, if you're asking me you know what is one thing that could go go better you know to me it's getting off those double teams a little quicker and, and giving the backs a little bit more room you know it's easy to say and, and like I said earlier you know Mo Neal wishes he did a couple things differently I'm sure Abdul does too so um, you need a couple of those and, and I think also opening up the short passing game might help a little bit too making those linebackers think a little more but you know as, as I think we talked about this after the Maryland game, you know, in those kind of option sets where, where DeVito has the opportunity to give, pull, or throw, you know, if, if teams know he's not running, it makes it a lot harder to be effective with that. So, so we'll, you know, we'll see on that. Um, all right, let's get into some predictions. Syracuse is, I believe, down to a 27-point underdog. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, wh- what do you got? Do you think – 27 and a half point underdog. Do you think they have a like do you expect them to hang around? What what do you kind of got this weekend, Julian? Uh usually I like to think positively um and think of my best excuse to make the game as close as I can and make myself feel good about it so I don't have to say anything uh too critical, but I I I don't see it this week and I, because of the deficiencies I've seen for two weeks now, whether it was the offensive line, uh, struggling in the passing game, uh, the chemistry or the lack of chemistry between receivers and the quarterback, uh, the defense, defensive issues against Maryland. Uh, I'm hesitant to, to even say this game is close. 27 is, is kind to me. I think this one might be a 30-40 point game closer to what we saw in 2016. I'm expecting this to be close to a blowout. I'm 44-17, 49, like, I, I I don't like saying this about my own program, <laughs> so I, I'm struggling. But uh, I don't think this is going to be close, and I, I, I don't expect Syracuse to hang out. I mean, forty-four seventeen is basically what Vegas is predicting, so you shouldn't feel that bad about it. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little closer, and I, I don't think it's going to be a game at the very end. But I think you're going to see Syracuse's defense, you know, show some teeth, show that last week was not who they are. Uh, they regroup a little bit, you know, get some stops, you know, make some plays against ETN. I think you'll see the corners battle a little bit, but when push comes to shove, I, I just think the matchup of ETN and, and that front five against Syracuse's linebackers is is really detrimental. Um, I have a hard time seeing them containing him for for the whole game. Uh, and on the other side, SU's offensive line, 
you know, that's the, the Clemson's D-line this year is a far cry from what it was last year, but that's still a tough matchup. So I, I think they're going to get hurt uh, in the run game on both sides of the ball. I think you'll see a little more growth from the passing game. I know Tommy DeVito said he was staying late uh, after practice yesterday on, on Tuesday to work on scramble drill with his receivers, but I just think they'll need everything to go right uh, to even have a chance. So, yeah, that's uh, that's all we got on that. Some recommended reading for the week. Pete Thamel from uh, Sports Illustrated hung out with uh, Texas leading up to that LSU game all last week. Go check that out. Pretty cool behind-the-scenes look at – um, everything that was going on there from meetings to, to kind of the phone calls and messages, threatening messages that the players and coaches got the week leading up to it, really insightful. Uh, on Syracuse.com, I'll have a story running tomorrow on Tommy DeVito and kind of his leadership style, the bonds he's tried to build the last two years, and, and, and how they're going to be tested against Clemson. So for Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum, thanks as always for listening. Uh, please subscribe, give us five stars. And we'll talk to you next time.